You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. People pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. This depiction is dangerous. Come on, ain't it? I'm cutting it. Butchery, sadism, murder. A wave of depraved and corrupt horror video. Confusing fiction with reality. Doug Smart, producer, Ident Investment Films. Maybe Enid could watch my latest Frederick North submission. Wanted a woman's eye on this film. There's this actress. I've got this feeling that's Nina. Oh, my sister. You know, if someone did take her, then they're still out there. You've never been clear on exactly what you remember. You'd be surprised what the human brain can edit out when it can't handle the truth. Someone's losing the plot. I was wondering if you had anything else on this actress. What's going to happen to her? That's top secret. People think that I create horror. Horror is already out there. In all of us. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I'm talking to Prano Bailey Bond, who is the director of the film Censor, which is coming out this year, played in Sundance a little earlier this year, now available playing in select theaters and will soon be available on demand. Definitely check it out, and I hope you enjoy this interview. Prano Bailey Bond, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into filmmaking. I'm from Wales originally and kind of moved to London when I was younger because I wanted to become a filmmaker. I guess like my background initially became post-production, so editing. That was really just because I guess when I started making films, I didn't really see the difference between directing and editing. It was just I needed to find a way to be able to tell stories. So I, I edited my own work. So yeah, I've kind of worked in like editing and I've done a little bit of performance very early on because I thought I wanted to be an actor and I've worked a little bit in sound and and stuff but ultimately it's all been towards directing and I've made quite a few short films and worked in music videos and things as a director. Would you consider yourself a horror director? Not all my shorts are horror. I think they're all kind of nightmarish for sure but maybe some are kind of experimental nightmares, some thrillers. I guess the one that connects most closely to Censor is Nasty, which uh, is set during the same period, during the Video Nasty era, but tells 
the story of a little boy whose dad goes missing and he discovers his dad's secret collection of video nasties. And through watching them, he perhaps finds his father. I was already developing Sensor and I thought of this idea of exploring kind of a kid's journey in the in video nasty era. And I thought of nasty as almost being like a story that could be going on across town from Enid's story, like their parallel journeys into the video nasty world. And it was really a way of me being able to explore some of the narrative ideas and the like techniques I used in Sensor. And a lot of that informed things that I did in the feature film. Obviously, I was only witness to the video nasty phenomenon from afar. I'm curious what your own experience was during that era. So I was born in 1982. So I was like three when Sensor is set. So obviously it wasn't really affecting me so much. And I grew up in the middle of nowhere in rural Wales. So, you know, we didn't really have this kind of stuff reaching us. I mean, my local cinema was like a 30 minute drive away and there was one bus a week. I kind of fed off my parents' VHS collection. So for me, the VHS thing was my way into film and meant that I could like sit there and study the same films and rewatch them over and over again. And some of those films were things like The Evil Dead and Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the better known video nasties. But I wasn't as aware then of the kind of political and social hysteria going on around these films. It was actually when I moved to London and sort of got deeper and deeper into like horror that I started to watch some of the more obscure titles. But I do remember the first time I became aware of censorship. And that was when I watched a film that was like a 13 when I was probably like eight. And there was a man who introduced the film at the beginning who came up and he said, this film is a 13. Nobody under the age of 13 should watch this. It is an offence for anyone under the age. And I freaked out. I was like, my mum's going to get arrested for me watching this film. I ran into the kitchen and I was like, mum, I can't watch it. We'd rented it from a video store. And I was like, I can't watch it. You're going to get into trouble. She calmed me down and told me it would all be fine. And if I wanted to watch the film that nobody would know, I wouldn't get her into any trouble. And I watched the film and it was like a spooky film called The Lady in White. And um, it was creepy in a fun way, but I knew that that was fiction. So I could enjoy being scared. But this guy at the beginning who was like all authoritative, he seemed really real to me. So he terrified me. So I always think of that time and think of the fact that even at like eight years old, I could tell the difference between fiction and reality. But it seemed like during the video nasty era, a lot of people weren't able to tell the difference between those two things. Tell me about the clips from the video nasties you use in the film. You must have had a lot of fun creating those. So everything that's like a key part of the narrative in terms of the films within the film, they're all, you know, things that were created especially for the narrative because it has to kind of make sense to Enid's journey. But also because I didn't want the audience to be like pulled out of the narrative of Enid, you know, of Enid's journey by like a film that they recognize popping up because you get distracted and you start thinking, Oh, well that film came out in 1987. Actually this film, you know, and all those kind of pernickety facts that particularly horror fans know about. So 
there are some real video nasties in there, but they're more in the kind of opening montage title sequence. So you kind of have little flashes of thriller killer, nightmare and a damaged brain, soul tangler, those kind of things that kind of pop up. But then creating the films within the film, I definitely leaned into specific titles. It really helped me think about the atmosphere I was going for. And also it helped me to communicate with my crew in terms of like what I was trying to achieve. But you're, you're equally, you're trying to evoke those films for the audience so that they can feel like they're like, you know, going with the idea that these could be real video nasties from the time. So don't go in the church, which is one of the films that they watch. I was looking at Gothic folk horrors, like blood on Satan's floor, this kind of eerie, you know, eerie, kind of atmosphere and these like British children with British voices that are slightly haunting but then also something like Lisa Lisa or Axe which is sort of 70s horror that was tangled up in the video nasty hysteria that was another kind of reference point for me and then something like Asunder which Enid watches at home I was looking more at like Lucio Fulci films things like The Beyond, House by the Cemetery. And I loved like putting in little details that for me are really fun. Like in that particular scene, one of the things that makes me laugh is little things like Tom, the male character, leans down and looks at a book and he says, it's Latin, I can work it out. And I always love how in horror films, there's always a book and it has to be written in Latin. And there's always somebody who understands Latin in a horror film. And I just think that's just one of those really kind of glorious, lovely tropes that you get in horror that makes me smile. So I liked working those things in wherever I could. It was definitely a lot of fun. I think, um, you know, you're always having to like keep an eye on yourself, I guess, when you're shooting those kinds of things and make sure that you're not getting carried away or making it too silly because some of the video nasties were quite silly. Some of them were amazing masterpieces and some of them are not. But I had to like just keep myself in check a little bit because ultimately you're, you always have to be coming back to like Enid's journey and what's her point of view. And if it becomes too silly, does that pull us out of, you know, what she's going through emotionally? So there was like a kind of a balancing act going on constantly in that sense. Tell me about your co-writer, Anthony Fletcher. I have made a few shorts collaborating with Anthony. I actually met Anthony because I wanted to write a feature film and I wanted to work with a writer. So when I first met him, I think I pitched him Censor. And so then I ended up getting these opportunities to make short films, so collaborated with Anthony on those. And in the background, we were always developing Censor. It's just a really great partnership Anthony's incredibly patient which helps because I tend to go down a road and then reverse and and go but what if we go over here and like explore all avenues and I think probably he'd rather just write the film but he's really patient and he's up for working in the weird way that I want to work in but I guess over time we've got to know each other's sort of strengths as writers so I know that I can like lean on him for certain things and he knows that I might be 
the one to write certain scenes as well. So I tend to be doing a lot of the kind of weird, horror, surreal stuff. And I always think if there's like a grown up scene, I'll like maybe ask Anthony to have a bash at it. But I think what I love about co-writing is that it keeps the project like moving. So sometimes for me anyway, I can get like, if I get a bit stuck with something, you know, like I can just ping it over to Anthony and like start carry on working on something that I actually feel more fluid around. And then Anthony might like chuck in an idea and that sparks something with me. So it just creates a bit more back and forth and keeps the process lively, I guess. So it's a really nice partnership. Was the film affected by the pandemic at all? We shot the main part of the film pre-COVID and then we were in the edit and we were actually just about to do a couple of extra days shooting. That was the week that lockdown happened in the UK. So we we kind of saw it coming and postponed the shoot because we didn't have money to waste booking locations and stuff. So actually what it meant was that we had this like big gap in the middle of making the film where you had this like enforced break of uh, lockdown. And so me and my editor like took that opportunity to really just have a bit of space with the film where all the execs are kind of busy dealing with the pandemic and how that's affecting our organizations. And so I suppose it just gave us a little bit of a space to make sure that we were totally happy with everything in place. And it gave me a bit more time to think about and prepare for the little tiny bits of film that we were still, you know, missing that we needed to shoot. And then we picked that up in July. So I think it affected like a lot of our post-production, but we were really lucky to be able to do the sound mix and things like that in person. And then obviously we launched at a online festival. So the experience of premiering the film was not at all what I expected it to be when we started the process. I mean, you're always hoping that you'll get into a festival like Sundance and that's amazing, but nobody would have guessed that we would have had to do it all online. But actually, I think because Sundance did such an incredible job of making the festival feel like an actual event, I think we were probably in the best case scenario for any festival that you're launching a film at during the pandemic. And the online response from people watching the film was so warm and lively that it actually still felt like through, you know, through social media that we were able to like connect with people who'd seen the film and and had loved it and were shouting about loving it. And so that definitely really, really soothed the fact that I wasn't able to actually go and (laughs) see it in in the room with the audience. But that's still to come, you know. I, I still actually haven't seen the film with an audience. I'm yet to sit in a room, in a dark room, and watch the finished piece of work with an audience. So the first time I'll get to do that is in, I think, at the end of this month. We have a preview in the UK. I've been so gutted that I haven't been able to travel to the screenings. Obviously, the film's coming out in the States, and I wish I could come over there and, you know, be part of the release. But because of COVID, that's not possible. It's also screening at Berlin Film Festival. 
next week. So I was planning to go to that. And then we got put on the no-fly list from the UK. So it's going to be really exciting experience, I think, just to actually feel the room watching the film and like feel the audience reactions. I think you you sort of, there's a whole new process you go through with a film as a filmmaker, like you're making it and you're the audience and you're the audience. And then there's the bit where you show it to people for the first time and you feel the room and that's the next stage of your relationship with the film. So it's going to be maybe a really interesting thing that I'll have had a break from it in between. But yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to do an, a real life Q&A and all of these things. I'm super excited about all of that. We did do a test screening at one point in the process, but it was it wasn't the finished film. It was actually before we did the pickup shoot. So it wasn't quite finished at that point. And the sound and the music wasn't in place. Obviously, you're getting notes from execs and producers. But then along the way, I always think it's important to have fresh eyes as you progress. So we'd kind of pick out people to share the film with and and get feedback from along the way. So that was really helpful. And I do that with the script of, as well, of course. You know, you pick your your kindest friends for the first draft and your harshest friends for the last draft. <laughs> so what have you been up to lately? I'm writing at the moment. So I've got a few things I'm lined up to write and, and I'm working on something at the moment that is... Uh, it's certainly still in the kind of slightly meta space and, and a bit of a mind-bending nightmare, I suppose, but too early to kind of really talk about it in detail. But there's a few projects that I'm working on that I'm very excited about, that some of them are in the genre space and some of them teeter around the edge of darkness. Is there a good place for people to keep up with you and the film online? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter as Prano Bailey Bond, and there's also a Twitter page for the film which is a Spencer movie and that's where all the US information and things will will be up and also there's a website censormovie.com I believe and on there you can find like cinemas where you can book to see the film and then see it through VOD when it comes out on VOD as well I'd encourage people to sit in theatre I know it's not possible for everyone but if you can please go to the cinema but yeah, and I'm also on Instagram, the same, very originally titled at Prano Bailey Bond. <laughs> Prano Bailey Bond, thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure speaking with you. It's a pleasure to talk to you as well. Thank you so much for having me. Now I'll watch what I want to watch A merry white
might be boring and run of the mill. Driller, killer, chainsaw, chiller. Here's the wife and kids. Oh, Satisfy your crazy dreams With images on a TV screen You're living a life of ill perversion Have you never heard that real conversion Can pure 